Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. This is episode 176. A very special guest today. She is a good friend from the HWA, Ashley Santana. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. That's cool. No, I'm so glad we connected. Is I believe we met just doing some conventions because even though I'm part of the HWA, I'm not very good at making meetings. You know, I'm not very, I'm not good in groups and then especially big groups and groups that are on a Zoom meeting. But if I can get one-on-one with someone and we can talk, that's awesome. And that's how you and I became <laughs> friends. So let's find out about you, how you got into writing, why horror and what horror kind of means to you? Good questions. I love these background questions. It's so interesting to hear what different authors have to say about not only getting into writing, but why that particular genre interests them so much. So for me, my writing starts with just storytelling in general. I feel that as a Latina, uh, oral storytelling is a huge part of my family and culture. And storytelling was a big part of growing up in going to family gatherings and everybody was always telling their story. And it was really exciting to hear everybody's stories. But the stories that I loved the most were the folk tales, I guess you could say. So like La Llorona or hear about or any of those and everybody thought I was crazy because I was really little and, and I just said tell me a scary story Nana tell me a scary story and she's like "Ooh, I don't know you're little and I was like I could take it so I started to write my own scary stories at a very young age the first story I ever wrote I think I was in the first grade and it was called it came from under the bed and even though I accompanied that like it was a paragraph and it had a picture poorly drawn picture of a monster's hand coming out from under the bed and there was blood everywhere nobody really questioned it they're just like oh Ashley's writing stories that's so nice and (laughs) um so I never questioned why I really liked horror either it was just something I felt naturally drawn to and I guess this this is kind of where the story gets sad, but I, to be quite honest, I realized as an adult, my attraction to horror is because it's what was comfortable. I grew up in a really uh, tumultuous household. And so I identified with characters more that were afraid of the thing in the house. Mm. I no matter what the characters looked like or sounded like, I identified with that fear more so than, you know, children's stories where the children's children go off and they do an amazing fantasy adventure. Those were fun, but I didn't get it. Right. Cause that's, I was more, I was in survivor, survivor mode. So horror was a great way for me to safely experience the feelings I wasn't allowed to feel as a child. There was a lot of fear, there was a lot of sadness, there was a lot of anxiety. And so it does kind of go hand in hand with some other people say who are fans of horror that they're like, oh, it's a safe place to, to, to be thrilled, 
Right. And I agree. But, and I think that for a lot of people who like horror and also I heard for particularly women who are interested in true crime, same thing. These are feelings and thoughts and emotions that it's, it's difficult to process on our own. And these stories help us to process it. So that's actually how I got into the genre. And I think that, that there's different ways in which the genre can be experienced and none of them are bad there are for so for me particularly I really enjoy the catharsis of horror I care about themes I like horror that's really deep and have meaning but that doesn't mean that all horror has to have it sometimes it's just fun and campy and that's okay too so for me horror has various meanings but specifically it's it's cathartic for me when did you make that discovery of realizing you know why you were really into it as a kid was that something that just came kind of recently yes in recent years maybe about four years ago it kind of just hit me I was wanting to write an essay about why I enjoyed horror so much and it started off with the whole I enjoy the thrill and I said that is actually not true why am I writing that and then I had to do some self-reflection and realize that the that pull to horror was more of a cathartic Mm -hmm. reasoning and I don't really get a thrill when I'm watching horror I get a feeling of compassion a lot of the times and so I try to write a lot of that into my horror as well I was wondering are there certain themes that you see popping up in your writing are there certain things that you like to write about and do you prefer short story compared to novel yes I do see a lot of themes popping up for me and interestingly enough I I they didn't come until later after I got my MFA so Before, when I was writing, I was writing short stories that were spooky and scary and uh, had female main characters because that was what I was able to write. And that's who I felt like I wanted to see more female representation in horror as a main character, not just as a final girl either, although that's also great. And then when I was going to school to get my MFA, I had the director of the program sit me down, talk to me and said, you know, you have a lot of of talent, but I still think that you're holding yourself back. I want you to really dig deep. And I told him that I didn't want to because I didn't want my family to be mad at me. I didn't want them to see situations in which they recognized. (laughs) I didn't want them to see people that they may recognize and he said, if shitty people didn't want you to write about the shitty things that they were doing, maybe they shouldn't have done those shitty things. And that kind of turned the table for me. So then after, after graduating, my stories have turned. They're not so just like freewheeling, fun, spooky, scary things. They have these darker, sadder themes to them. They are about childhood trauma. They are about women fighting against oppression. They are about people who are dealing with things that even though there may be a supernatural occurrence, the actual monster is usually human based. And I see a lot more of that in my writing now. Awesome. Now, 
is there race involved too is that important for you are your characters latina is that yes yes that is something that's important to me mm -hmm. for a couple reasons one that's just my experience i don't want to write outside of my experience that doesn't mean that i can't write characters who aren't of my race but i just want to make sure that whenever i'm doing something like that i do it with understanding and respect and so i do mm -hmm. have other races in as characters too and i try to do equal good and bad because that's just pe how people are you're good or you're bad or you're gray or you're i mean really most people are just gray and but i but a lot of my characters if not all the main characters have always been of latin descent because that's just what i understand and then also i feel like when it comes to representation you need to have more than one of the same from the same group to have representation because if you only have the one that's when you fall into the token character category mm -hmm. but if you have at least two people from the same type of community marginalized or not then you can start expanding on them as different people and mm -hmm. that's really how you get representation by having different people who are individuals and that's important to me as well so what else what else would you like to see happen in the writing community horror community it could be whatever what mm -hmm. other changes would be positive well definitely with more representation to have more characters who are acting off different from what is considered stereotypical so it more individualism if that makes sense for characters just to be themselves but i also would like to see more people from marginalized communities and it could be any kind of marginalized community there's so many unfortunately taking taking the chance to get published because it is a fight when you're from a marginalized community it is a fight to get published and it's a fight for anyone to get published marginalized or not and I completely understand that but there are certain degrees of this hierarchy unfortunately in publishing and so while it's unfortunate that people from marginalized communities have to fight harder I do want to see them I do want to see more of them because I feel like so many people just give up it's too hard nobody wants to read my story I'm going to tell you all right now I want to read your stories I want to read all your stories if you're different, if you've always felt different, if you have a story that you're not seeing and you want to be out there, I want to read it. I want to read your story. And I think that's going to make a big difference going forward. That's awesome. And I think so many people have incredible stories, but yeah, too scared to share them or they just don't know where to start. Mm -hmm. you know, even working like Midsummer Screen, that's where you and I have worked a couple conventions but at the HWA booth, there's lots of, you know, I always ask people if they're writers or not, or want to be writers. And so many people, like they have this great idea, they want to share it, but they don't think they could do it. But yeah, I think just having that ability and going for it. Now, going back to the MFA, mm -hmm. what else did you get from that? The number one thing that I got from that MFA was, was community. And that's why I went. I said, I want a writer community. I want a writer community. Uh, there's, you could go to conventions, you can be part of like the HWA, which is great and other collectives. But I said, I want community and I also want the degree. <laughs> so mm -hmm. that was perfect for me. And so when I went to the MFA, it wasn't 
disappointed in any way. I have such an amazing community now of people who aren't just genre writers. They're literary writers, they're poets, they're screenwriters, play writers. I, I also write plays, so that's great. So you're part of the theater community as well. So I just got this, there's not just friends, they're not just family. It's like real community of writers. And from that MFA, I actually... I'm now part of a writing group and we meet once a month and we have had some successes with our workshops and with some fun exercises that we do. We're really there to support each other a hundred percent. And that's what I wanted from the MFA because I had people in my everyday life who supported me, but I feel like as anyone who's ever said as a kid, I want to be a writer or I want to be a painter or, you know, something like that. And you get that is not financially stable, young lady. (laughs) You should do this instead, or you should do that. And I tried, I tried to do other things that were considered more financially stable. And in the end, I, I came back to, to creative writing. So not only did I get a sense of community from the MFA, but I also got validation because so many people had the same story and they were all there and either to prove them to themselves or to their families or to teachers. I mean, I love teachers. I have so many teachers that I love, but unfortunately there's a lot of teachers. There's a lot of counselors out there who are naysayers. Mm -hmm. So we're also proving to teachers that we could do this, anybody. And so those were the things that I got community and validation. That's awesome. And I wasn't even considering just how important that community is as a writing is such a lonely or could be such a lonely thing. It had been a lonely thing for me. No one I know really cares about it. So unless (laughs) I'm emailing another writer or, you know, lately I've been a little bit more active on social media and having those kinds of conversations, but yeah, having the one-on-one with other people that are supporting you, that are pushing you, that has to be incredible. I know, Probably my biggest growth as a writer came from little workshops, like week-long workshops. And just because you're surrounded by, you know, like-minded people that are going to help you grow. So that that's super cool. That's a great reason for just that alone to, to go into a program. Mm-hmm. So what are you, what are you working on now? Maybe talk a little bit about your job because that is writing related, what you are writing for yourself, and also a little bit about the podcast you have. Okay, so at first, I don't have a podcast. I was on, but I was a guest on a podcast, but I do run the book club. That's what I meant. Sorry. Right. Oh, yeah, no worries. We all do so much. So I'll talk a little bit about the book club first. It's called The Thing in the Labyrinth. It's a horror book club, and we meet once a month. It's virtual and it's via Zoom. And actually, in September, we're going to be doing your bookmark. We're going to be doing Bright Side. So I hope everybody can join us. That is super cool. Yeah, no, thank you so much for that. I I can't wait to have everyone join us and to do it with you guys. Oh, perfect. Awesome. And so that actually started from an in-person book club at the last bookstore in LA. So a lot of people are, especially if you're from Southern California, aware of this really cool bookstore. They have a book labyrinth at the very top of their store. And Catherine McGee actually used to run it originally. And then it went virtual because of the pandemic. And because it was virtual, I was actually able to join because I was originally living in Palm Springs Mm -hmm. and I couldn't always make it out to LA. 
So I was able to join. And then when Catherine was ready to go on to other endeavors, she got in touch with me and asked if I would like to become the new host for this book club. And I agreed because I love stories. And I, like I said, I want to read all your stories. So it was really fantastic to be able to take over. Catherine had did an amazing job initiating it and bringing it into the virtual world. And I was happy that she, she chose me. She she felt that I was an okay choice, I guess, to take over. And I've had a blast so far. So, and it has stayed virtual. And so we're continuing on. And people can find out more if they go to my website, aesantana.com. And we have information about the book club there. About my job. So my day job, I'm a communications editor for nonprofit. And that was kind of where I went into the whole I need to have a stable job to make money like everybody in my life always told me I had to do. So I actually got my undergrad in mass communications with a minor in script writing. And that really got me into marketing and advertising. So that is actually really great because I meet so many authors and they're like, I wrote this book. Now what? (laughs) Especially if they're self-published. And I'm Mm. like, I work in marketing. (laughs) you can ask me questions. So it's been really fun to interact with people in that way to help other authors in that way to give advice if they're interested in that at all. So that's what I do. I work in the marketing communications department of a nonprofit that's in Southern California. And then what I'm writing now. So earlier you asked me about short stories versus novels. So I have a lot of short stories that I'm working on still. I'm one of those people who is able to work on multiple projects at once. That's not necessarily great because it takes forever to finish any of them. (laughs) And then I, but I really love short stories. There's just something about a short story that it's amazing. I love anthologies. I love short story collections. I even love like anthology TV shows like, Twilight Zone, Tales from the Dark Side, all of that. There's just something about that story in a small amount of time that I just dig, I mm. guess. And I start, then I started writing my novel during my MFA. And I, I'm finished with my novel, but I am revisiting it to do a second draft. Mm. So what I learned about writing novels versus writing short stories is for me, a short story is like a well-landed joke. You have to have very good delivery to write the short story. Your delivery has to be spot on, just like a joke. If your delivery is not spot on, it will not land. Nobody's going to laugh. And same with the short story. You, your ending has to be just right. Everything has to lead up to that ending. It's got to be concise and succinct. And it's, to impact people. Mm -hmm. A novel is more like writing a essay or speech, maybe a speech, because I had used the analogy of a joke. So I, when you're writing a speech, you have time to mull over the details. You have time to explain what you mean. You have time to get to know everybody everybody gets to know you during the speech you have people's attention for longer than 
when you're just telling a joke. Mm -hmm. And so the mechanics are very different in making sure that that lands versus the way that a joke would land or a short story would land. So you have to be more meticulous, I think, and you have to keep up the interest. That's the biggest thing with writing a novel I found is how do you keep up the interest while still giving everybody the information that they need so it all makes sense when you get to the end. So while I finished my novel, but I'm reworking it because writing isn't writing, it's rewriting. I have continued to work on short stories since that's kind of my first love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now with the novel, how much how much time has passed since your first draft? And is this second draft of ma- any major changes? Is it something big? Great question. Love it. So from the first draft took me 11 years to write. 11 years. And granted, there were some years in between. I wasn't writing it at all. Mm-hmm. Completely life took over doing other things, worked on other projects, like years would go by, I didn't work on it. And then I eventually finished it after my MFA, because my the MFA really said, you know, let's work on this. This is something that I think is great for you. And my instructors were amazing. And they really helped me out. So that's the other thing I would have to say about an MFA. They're just a really expensive editor, just the most expensive editor that you will ever find, but they're good, but still good. It's still a great editor. So it took me 11 years to write the first draft. And within that first draft, as I was writing it, before I even got to the end, it, the themes and the morals and the characters changed so many times, so many times. It was amazing. I think back to the original draft I was writing in a notebook longhand while I was getting my undergrad. And it is not the same story whatsoever. Yeah, because think about how much you changed as a person in those 11 years. Exactly. A thousand percent true. Yes, because it originally started as just a fun, dark fantasy type of story. And then it became even darker. And then it became about how healing your healing your trauma, (laughs) which was, as I said, cathartic. And I think Mm -hmm. I needed to get that story out and many other stories like it before I can move on to other things and other themes. And and if you look at Stephen King's library, a lot of his themes are the same. Mm -hmm. He hits a lot on the same themes as well. And I think that as authors, there are just, there is multiple ways to tell the same story and we want to tell them all to you. So for the second draft, it's going much smoother. I have taken some time away because I did move from, from Southern California to Colorado recently. So that got put on pause, but I'm hoping to go back to it and then chop it around and see what happens. You know, I am not afraid of getting rejected. I'm just afraid of no one ever reading it mm-hmm. because I really appreciate all the writers who I read when I was younger. And I said, yes, thank you, because I don't feel so alone. And mm-hmm. I would love if. I could be part of that group. Now, how about with with your short stories, are you planning on putting them together in a collection and also 
sending that to a publisher? Are you considering self-publishing at any point, especially having the background in marketing? Or, you know, are you just going to keep submitting until you do get the, the right representation and publication? So the world of publishing is changing and it's changing quickly and has been and has had a lot of changes within this year alone. So a kind of a little bit of everything. I do want to eventually bring a group of my short stories together because I see that theme where they're all connected. And I'm like, oh, this could be a short story collection. That's cool. So that's something I want to do. I do want to, to try to get represented by a, a bigger publisher agency, but I also would like to do self-publishing because I think it's good for any job, not just writing, any, any job to know the mechanics of it all. So mm. I would love to do self-publishing at some point. I'm not really sure which one of my stories I would want to do that with. It all just depends. I have some short stories where I'm like, <laughs> this thing is never gonna get published. It's weird. Or it's too controversial or something mm. like that. And I could just do it myself. There's a lot of people who self-publish and they have major success. Mm. And so it all just depends, really. You know, do people want to read your story? Probably. You just got to make sure it gets to them. So I feel that I could probably do okay. But we'll see. Who knows? I don't know. There's too many variables and you can't know them all. So try everything is what I say. And I'm guessing that no matter what, you would be writing anyhow. Yeah, I just love stories. And I, I know I've said that before, but it's really the truth. That's really where it all comes from, is how much I love stories, how much I love listening to other people's stories. And so I want to share my stories with them, too. That's awesome. Well, you are about to do that because you recorded. And now, is it just part of your short story that you recorded? Yes, it's just okay. part of my short story. Awesome. Uh, yes. The short story is called Tasty Amy, and it was published in a horror anthology called Weird Ales, Another Round. And you can find a link to purchase that on my website, which is aesantana.com. I publish under A.E. Santana, so people can go to my website and find all of my information there. There are some stories that are in print, and so you can purchase the anthologies, or there are links as well that you can go and read for free there too. So if you just go to the website, it has all the information that you need. Very cool. And you said the story is Tasty Amy? Tasty Amy. Yes. <laughs> Very cool. I like the title. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been awesome. I really appreciate you coming on and I wish you the best. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. I'm A.E. Santana. And this is an excerpt from Tasty Amy. Daisy sipped her water as Kimberly and Vanessa clinked their beer bottles together. Salute, Vanessa shouted. She and Kim Kimberly downed their beers. Daisy leaned against the kitchen counter and watched her friend. We need chasers! Kimberly tore open Vanessa's fridge and found a bottle of mustard, one slice of cheese, and more bottles of beer. You don't have anything for shots? Vanessa slouched in her overpriced sequin blouse and hiked up her miniskirt. No, we'll just have to get them at the club. Kimberly made a face. She grabbed two more beers and shut the refrigerator door. She passed one of the beers to Vanessa. Ugh, club drinks, drinks are so expensive, though. Vanessa told me, Davy said, that this is one of those roving clubs with a secret spot every night. This one is in some warehouse, Vanessa said. 
so the drinks are probably very expensive. Daisy sipped her water, another reason why I don't drink. Vanessa rolled her eyes and popped open her beer. Kimberly smiled at Daisy. I'm going to get you to drink, she said. Just you wait and see. Don't bother with her, Kim, Vanessa said. Daisy is a lost cause, a child of straight edge and party poopers. She took a long drink of her beer. Daisy made a face. I'm tired of people thinking I'm weird because I don't drink or smoke or whatever. Because it is weird, Kimberly said. I just think the whole situation is a bit sketchy and we don't need alcohol mucking it up. Vanessa rolled her eyes. Don't start with that again. Last month, an abandoned church in Atlanta burned down, Daisy said. Police are saying that there was some crazy party going on in the basement. And before that was the arson at the club in Toronto. Maybe we shouldn't even go out. The doorbell chimed and a smile spread over Vanessa's face. No more of that. The party has arrived. At least the person who will buy us drinks at the bar. She slipped away to answer the door. Daisy and Kimberly heard her from the other room. Noah, Vanessa said, we're in the kitchen pre-partying. Daisy put her glass down. She crossed her arms. I hate Noah. Why? Because he's a cute guy that wants you? Kimberly took another drink. You really are being a party pooper tonight. Daisy stared down at her new pumps. The heels were already hurting her feet. I know, I'm sorry. I, I had a weird feeling about tonight, but Vanessa wouldn't let up on the phone. So here I am. Yep, you're here. And now she feels guilty and is taking it out on you, Kimberly said. Classic Vanessa. Do you really think it's dangerous to go out tonight with, you know, all that stuff you said? Classic Vanessa, Daisy thought. If only you knew the Vanessa I do, then fun would be the least of your worries. I'm sure it'll be fine. Daisy gave Kimberly a week. Besides, I'll be there to take care of all of you. Are you going to have fun? Kim asked. Yes. Promise? Kim stared at her with big eyes. Yes, I promise. Kimberly hid her smile with a swig of her beer. Good. As Vanessa and Noah entered the kitchen, Noah placed himself next to Daisy. Vanessa grabbed a beer from the fridge and handed it to him. Here, Vanessa said, drink this. We gotta be drunk before we get to the club. Why do you have to be drunk? Daisy asked. Kimberly shot her a look. Vanessa flipped her dark hair away from her face because I'm not paying $12 for a drink. That's why. You having a drink, Daisy? Noah asked. No, Daisy said and picked up her water. I don't drink, Noah, remember? But your name is a drink, he said. In Spanish, Daisy is Margarita. Is that really true? Kimberly asked. Daisy nodded. Noah looked at Daisy. I'm planning on having a margarita tonight. Well, Daisy said, if you only want to spend $12, you can always have Vanessa. Kimberly and Noah erupted into laughter. Vanessa spit out her drink. The spittle and suds flew across the kitchen, spraying Daisy. Daisy looked up from her wet dress to see Vanessa's white eyes rimmed in dark makeup, in shock. She stared at Daisy with a mix of apology, horror, spite, and a look worse than her whining on the phone. I know that look, Daisy thought, the please don't be mad at me look. Daisy sighed, fine, I'm sure whatever weird feeling I have is nothing. Daisy smiled and shrugged. Vanessa smiled back, relief flooded her features. Daisy grabbed a kitchen towel and dabbed the cream colored dress she wore. At least you didn't get any on my shoes.
Daisy ignored the pain in her feet as she danced. She looked around and caught Vanessa's eye. They smiled at each other before giving their attention back to the music. A song Daisy didn't recognize came on. She reached out and tapped Vanessa's shoulder. My feet hurt, she said. I'm going to go sit down with Noah. Vanessa pointed at her ears and shook her head. Daisy pointed down at her feet, then pointed near the bar where Noah sat. Realization dawned on Vanessa and she nodded. She tapped Kimberly on the shoulder and the three left the dance floor together. Daisy flopped next to Noah and kicked off her pumps. Noah handed Kimberly and Vanessa a beer each as they sat. He took a drink of his own. Are you sure you don't want anything? Noah asked. He leaned into Daisy in order for her to hear him over the music. If you want anything, I gotcha. Daisy shook her head. No, thanks, Noah. Noah shrugged. He turned to the rest of the group and waved them in. Hey, you know what the bartender told me? Noah asked. He said they have this house drink. He leaned in closer. It has absinthe in it. Oh, no. Kimberly sat back. I don't want that. No, thank you. I'm pretty sure that stuff is illegal, Daisy said. I've tried absinthe before, Vanessa said. It's okay. They say it's supposed to be really strong and give you hallucinations, but it really didn't. And it wasn't even green. The green fairy, Daisy said. Noah shot her a look. How do you know about that? I don't drink, Daisy said. I'm not socially challenged. Kimberly looked up from her beer. I thought they were the same thing. She winked at Daisy. Everyone laughed. Daisy was with me when I tried it, Vanessa said. She looked at her. Do you remember that crazy night? Yeah, Daisy said. You were disappointed that it didn't whack you out of your mind. Vanessa huffed. I really only had a sip, she said. So it's a no on the drink, Noah asked over the music. Why, Vanessa asked. Did you already buy them? A smile appeared on Noah's face. He leaned in again and the girls followed. The bartender said that they're going to give everyone, everyone in the whole club, a free one. Oh, I'll drink that, Kimberly said. When Vanessa looked over to the sitting area to the bar. What's the drink called? A tasty Amy, Noah said. They said they usually charge like $20 for it, but they want everybody to try it. The way people, that way people who like it will buy it afterwards? Daisy nodded. I give them points for marketing. I give them points for free drinks, Kimberly said. I do not mind a possible, not possible hallucinogenic drink if it's free. The song switched and the girls' eyes lit up. They shouted and jumped from their seats. Daisy fumbled with her pumps but got them on before she lost her friends in the crowd. Noah followed. On the dance floor, Daisy evaded the swaying bodies packed around her and tried to lose herself in the music, but her heart sagged. She glanced at Vanessa. She has no idea when to stop drinking, though. I'm afraid she's going to end up back in the hospital, getting her stomach pumped. Daisy shivered at the memory. Vanessa's pale face and her limp body dropping to the floor with a sick thud next to the vomit-smeared toilet. Daisy pushed the image from her mind. She lost her footing and bumped into Vanessa. The music blared overhead. The lights flashed. Vanessa looked up at her. I'm sorry, Daisy mouthed. Vanessa stared back at her for a moment, then nodded. She grabbed Daisy's hand and pulled her into a sidestep and a hug. They danced away from each other, feeling good again. The song ended and the DJ's boost boomed. Everyone having a good night tonight? The, the crowd screamed in approval. All right, because the house has got a special treat for everyone. The DJ paused as the crowd reacted with re excitement. We've got a house drink called Tasty Amy. Do we have any Tasty Amy's here tonight? Screams and knees and laughter answered him. 
On behalf of all our Taste It Amy's, the house has decided to give every single person in here a free Tasty Amy. If you'd like to find out what happens at the end of the story, you can find the full story in the anthology Weird Ales, Another Round.